0: Before we begin today's episode, we'd like to thank our corporate sponsor, Fiduciary Trust International, for their generous support. Fiduciary Trust International helps families with significant wealth manage that wealth and the complexities that come with it across the generations. Building your legacy is about more than just managing your investments. Fiduciary Trust International helps you look at your wealth holistically today and plan effectively for your future. They will help you structure your wealth so you can enjoy it now and provide maximum benefit to your heirs and the causes you care about. If you're looking for trust, estate, and advanced tax planning services to help you grow and protect your wealth, check out Fiduciary Trust International at fiduciarytrust.com.
1: Hailed as one of the greatest operas in the English language, Benjamin Britten's masterpiece Peter Grimes was first performed in London on June 7, 1945. It received its American premiere in 1946 at Tanglewood, conducted by what famous conductor and composer? Find out on today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast.
0: The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is made possible via generous funding from its corporate sponsor, Fiduciary Trust International, and support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund.
1: Travel with us! The Metropolitan Opera Guild is pleased to announce the return of our travel program. This autumn, join fellow opera lovers for a Lyric Festival at Sea from Rome to Malaga aboard the Deluxe La Liral. Sailing September 30th through October 8th, 2023, this voyage is designed to explore the artistic intersection of architecture and music through visits to concert venues across the western Mediterranean. With visits to Teatro dell'Opera, Palau de la Música Catalana, and Teatro Principal de Palma, this is sure to be an experience you won't want to miss. For more information or to book your cabin, please visit slash travel or call us at 888-400-1082. Give up? It was maestro Leonard Bernstein Filled with large choruses, sea interludes, modernism, and more, Peter Grimes has become a staple in the operatic canon. The protagonist of Peter Grimes is an antihero, a deeply flawed figure with whom we can nonetheless empathize, and it explores the conflict among human beings in any society. I'm your host, Elspeth Davis, and on this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, lecturer Michael Bolton explores Britain's magnificent meditation on isolation and persecution.
2: A little bit about myself before we dig into content around Peter Grimes. I've been with Opera Philadelphia for over 20 years, and with Opera Philadelphia and over 70 other organizations, including Cincinnati Opera, the Philadelphia Orchestra the University of Pennsylvania, and so many others, I've given uh, lectures on over 80 operas for over 65,000 people. I'm also currently the Saturday morning classical music host at WRTI 90.1 FM in Philadelphia, and I'm also the host and producer of a new opera podcast called Front Row Center. And before we get into the creators and the commission origin of Peter Grimes, I'll dig right into the music and the dramaturgy of the prologue, discuss the importance of the minor second interval or the half step, and then we'll take a look at a few key scenes and how they relate to the prologue along the way. And of course, I'll introduce the performers for Peter Grimes. Ultimately, though, my goal is to help you to gain some insight into the work and have a deeper understanding of what the music is telling us about the plot and the characters and hopefully make the opera that much more tragic. Benjamin Britten once wrote, It is cruel, you know, that music should be so beautiful. It has the beauty of loneliness and of pain, of strength and freedom, the beauty of disappointment and never satisfied love, the cruel beauty of nature and everlasting beauty of monotony. And he could have said that specifically regarding his 1945 opera, Peter Grimes, as all of those elements are reflected in this opera. Loneliness, pain, strength, freedom... Disappointment, never satisfied love, etc., etc. And the title of our talk is A Criminal at Odds with Society. Yet, we'll come to see that Peter Grimes is abusive, if not criminal, but it is society at odds with him and not Grimes at odds with society. And all of this is clear just from the opening scene a fisherman on trial for the death of his boy apprentice who was not murdered by that fisherman as the community believes, but died from exposure to the elements and lack of drinking water while the two were lost at sea for three days. In Britain, he sets up the prologue in the courtroom brilliantly. You would think that the music for such a trio would be somber, but instead we get cackling, almost laughter, from the woodwinds. And as he's sworn in, Peter Grimes is very somber in his responses. After all, his entire reputation is on the line. And Swallow, the lawyer, almost comes off as a buffo character. It's interesting because the singer that Benjamin Britton cast in the role at the opera's premiere was Owen Brannigan, a bass known for his comedic and buffo roles. Swallow announces Peter Grimes' Say the Oath After Me, starting on a repeated, almost mechanical middle C, as his vocal line becomes more angular and the harmonies and key signatures modulate around him, This is just pure theater for him, a joke even, as he's swearing in grimes on the stand. Conversely, Peter takes every word seriously. Peter almost savors every syllable as if to assure everyone assembled that he will tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Swallow, the lawyer, just wants this to be over with. He presses the testimony forward, but Peter wants to share as many details as possible. He wants his side of the story to be told. And as testimony continues, the community chimes in. And we understand that this is not a trial about Peter allegedly having killed a boy, but a community's need to excise itself of those who are not like them. Different, undesirable. And the community makes that clear in their outbursts of indignation throughout the trial. And anyone who signs with Peter is automatically an enemy of the people, like Ellen Orford, the borough school teacher. She's Peter's rock. She's the person he can always turn to, and she testifies in support of Peter at the trial. Peter, in turn, is shackled by his designation as outcast. He wants the truth to come out, and he wants to convince everyone of his innocence and stop their tongues from wagging. Peter did not kill this apprentice, but he died from horrible circumstances. When the crowd departs after the trial and Peter is found innocent by swallow, Peter and Ellen stand alone and the very first word he sings is the truth and he continues the pity and the truth that's all he wants he wants the truth to come out he sings the truth on a minor second interval a sharp to b natural he sings that half tone twice as he repeats the truth and we'll hear that half tone throughout the opera in various rhythms and if that rising half tone that minor second is the truth then its inversion, the falling half tone, must represent a lie. The two sing in an unhappy duet, an acapella, unaccompanied duet, is also bitonal in harmonically opposed keys. He sings in F minor, four flats, a key characterized by deep depression, and she sings in E major, four sharps, the key of optimism, and they fight against each other in dissonance. It's really a very daring choice on Britton's part. As a young composer, he wanted to study with Alban Berg and Arne Schoenberg, but was discouraged from those, quote, evil ways. So in this duet, Peter is all desperation, warning that the Burroughs' hate will poison Ellen's mind, and she is all hope and calmness, angelically singing, Peter, we can restore your name, warmed by the new esteem that you will find, and battling key signatures— Ultimately resolve into Ellen's key of hope as they sing in unison Your voice out of the pain is like a hand that I can feel and know, here is a friend. And what ensues after that duet is the first of the very famous orchestral interludes. Yet the music is not triumphant, or hopeful, or even invigorating for two people who've just declared a covenant to their friendship unaccompanied by instruments, just their two voices and nothing else. What follows is some of the loneliest music ever written. Clearly, Peter and Ellen only have each other. And we talked about that interval of the truth, that rising minor second. Most importantly, though, the first interval we hear in that orchestral interlude is the inverse of the truth, that lowered minor second, the lie and that interval repeats and develops into that lonely lonely melody it continues as it gets swept into the musical sea along the beach like gossip on the wind anthony dean griffey is peter grimes john del carlo is swallow the lawyer and patricia rissette is ellen orford the metropolitan opera orchestra and chorus is conducted by sir donald (laughs) Ronicles.
3: He take rhymes, he take rhymes. He take we are here to investigate the cause of death of your apprentice, William Sport, whose body you brought ashore from your boat the boy Billy on the 26th Ultimo. Do you wish to give evidence? You step into the box. Peter Grimes, take the oath after me. I swear by Almighty God. I swear by Almighty God.
4: That the evidence I
3: shall give.
4: That the evidence I shall give. Shall be the truth. Shall be the truth. All truth and nothing but the truth.
3: The whole truth and nothing but the Tell truth. Tell the story in your own words. <laughs> you sailed your boat around the coast with the intention of putting into London. Why did you do this?
4: We'd caught a huge
3: catch to sail here and the boy died on the way
4: the wind turned against us blew us off
3: our course we ran out of drinking water how long were you at sea three days <laughs> what happened next he died lying there among the fish what did you do Threw them all overboard, set sail for home. You mean you threw the fish overboard? When you landed, did you call for help? I called
4: that keen.
3: The Apothecary here? Was there anybody else called?
4: Somebody brought the parson.
3: You mean the rector, Mr. Boris Adams? All right, Mr. Adams. Was there a certain amount of excitement? Bobbo started shouting. There was a scene in the village street from which you were rescued by our landlady. Yes, my aunt. We don't call her that here.
5: <laughs>
3: you then took to abusing a respectable lady. And Sunny, you shouted abuse at a certain person. See who? See who? See who? Mrs. here. I don't like it. Interference. Yes. The Silence! Now tell me this, who helped you carry the boy home? The schoolmistress, the widow, Mrs. Eleanor
5: Ferdinand.
3: Silence! Silence! Silence. Mrs. O'Ferdinand, the schoolmistress, the widow, how did you come into this?
4: I did what I could to
3: help. Why should you help this kind of fellow, callous, brutal, and coarse? There's something here, perhaps, in your favor. I am told you rescued the boy from drowning in the march storms. Have you something else to say No. Then I have. Peter Grimes, I here advise you, do not get another boy apprentice. Get a fisherman to help you, big enough to stand up for himself. Our verdict is that William Spode, your apprentice, died in accidental circumstances. But that's the kind of thing people are apt to remember. Um, when the it, it, the murder,
4: it Silence! The Silence! The
3: Silence!
4: The like every other fisherman
3: There's I have to hire an apprentice, I must have help. And get a woman to help you look after him. That's what I want, but not yet. Why not? Not till I stop people's mouths. Stand down, clear the court, stand down. Stand it down, you say. You wash your hands.
4: The case goes on in people's minds. The charges that no court has made will be shouted at my head. And let me speak. Let me stand trial. So Bring the accusers into so 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 the hall. Let the
5: the me the truth. the house! the truth. Fix the the truth. the truth. the then the
3: court the the
2: An incredibly powerful scene and ripe with layer upon layer for inspection. But before we continue our inspection, how did Britton come to Peter Grimes? Britton was a little bit of a musical wunderkind. He grew up in a musical family, composing by the time he's five, playing piano at seven, and seriously starting to study composition by age 14. He enrolls in the Royal College of Music at 16, but his life changes when... His work, A Boy Was Born, is broadcast over the BBC in 1934 at the age of 21. It generates significant attention and leads to a contract with music publisher Boozy and Hawkes. And soon, he's scoring documentaries and films, really giving him a thorough foundation as a future opera composer because he can compose and score for any possible dramatic situation. In 1934, when he's 24, he meets tenor Peter Pierce. They initially... Shared a flat out of necessity, but a relationship grew both professionally and romantically. In 1939, the two go to North America on a concert tour, ultimately staying in the U.S. as pacifists and cultural ambassadors. And a couple years later, in 1941, while living in Brooklyn Heights, Britton composes his first theater work, the operetta Paul Bunyan, which premiered at Columbia University. Well, also in 1941, Britain discovers George Crabbe's 1810 narrative poem, The Burrow, in a Bookstore. The poem is written as a series of 24 letters, the 22nd of which concerns Peter Grimes. So during their time in America, Serge Kuzovitsky had befriended the two, and this giant of the classical musical world who left an extraordinary legacy of some of the greatest musical commissions in the 20th century, Asked Britain to write an opera. Kuzvitsky allowed Britain to premiere the opera in England, and then the U.S. premiere would take place within a year of the U.K. premiere with Leonard Bernstein conducting The Forces at Tanglewood. The official premiere is in 1945 at Sadler's Wells in London, very much a grand opera, large chorus, cast, orchestra, big sweeping scenes, everything you expect from grand opera. Peter Grimes was the first major operatic success by a British composer, since Henry Purcell's Dido and Aeneas, written 265 years. This is not to say that other British composers did not write operas in the intervening years. It's just to say that Peter Grimes really caught the imagination and excitement of the mass public. It was also a major success with productions being scheduled throughout Europe within weeks of the opera's premiere. Like I mentioned, the United States saw it in 1946 at Tanglewood. The Met first performed it in 1948, where it has been performed intermittently, generally as dictated by a tenor who can really do the role justice. Some notable Met interpreters have included Anthony Rolf Johnson, Philip Langridge, Anthony Dean Griffey, and of course John Vickers, who defined the role at the Met for almost 20 years. And that brings us to the current revival, which opened a week and a half ago, to great reviews for its star tenor, Alan Clayton, of note in several reviews was about Clayton's interpretation of Peter's Act soliloquy in the local pub, Now the Great Bear and Pleiades. In between this moment and the trial of the prologue, the town has continued to lash out at Grimes, and we can see his psyche has begun to deteriorate. Personality traits that had been suggested in the prologue have turned into frightening concerns as he begins to lose his grasp on reality. The apothecary, Ned Keene, has found a new apprentice for Peter, and when no one offers to fetch the boy, Ellen Orford steps forward and volunteers, throwing the self-righteousness of the community back in their faces. Later on in Auntie's pub, the borough has come together as a terrible storm approaches, and tensions are growing out of meteorological fear and increased inebriation, and the storm is getting worse as Peter bursts in, calling out two major constellations crucial in navigation, the Great Bear, also known as Ursa Major, within which we find the Big Dipper and the Pleiades. Whereas everyone in the tavern is engaged in being a community, Grimes enters and shuts all of that down. He's in some kind of almost catatonic illusion, asking who can turn the skies back and begin again. The soliloquy is very simple. Musically referencing the oath that he gave on the stand at the trial, while he was swearing to tell the truth on that repeated middle C in the courtroom, here he sings repeatedly on E! Natural, Ellen Orford's Key of Hope, and there are outbursts as he continues. There are outbursts as he continues, and everyone in the pub is confused, concerned, and definitely judgmental. Ned Keane starts a song in the form of a round in the hopes of deflating the energy in the room and the entire pub is singing along as we seem to have restored some lightness to that scene. But Britton keeps the tension high with this repeated percussion moving the music along. Peter interrupts everyone again and now the community is just afraid of him. He's clearly not of his own mind and explosive in his temperament. And then the scene ends as Ellen arrives with the new apprentice both are soaked from the storm. Peter demands that the apprentice leave and return to his hut, and that is when the community unleashes its full vitriol at Grimes as the scene ends. The important themes to see in this moment are Grimes's increasing delusion and the community's rejection of him, sometimes violently so. The singers for this ensemble that closes the first act of Peter Grimes include Teddy Tahu Rhodes as Ned Keen, Anthony Michaels Moore as Captain Balstrode, Anthony Dean Griffey as Peter Grimes, Jill Grove as Auntie, Felicity Palmer as Mrs. Sedley, Greg Federley as Bob Bowles, Patricia Reset as Ellen Orford, and Dean Peterson as Hobson. Sir Donald Runnicles conducts the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra and Chorus.
4: Find the door! Find
5: the door! Find the door!
3: This widow's as strong as any two fishermen I have met. Everybody's very quiet. She T- Joe and and you know is
4: and
5: found them a
4: and
3: and I'm tired of
5: the folds,
2: In Act 2, Ellen finds a bruise on the new apprentice's neck. She confronts Grimes about it, and in frustration and annoyance at her questions, he strikes her in public, which is seen by the townsfolk. Later, as Grimes and his apprentice prepare to go to sea, the boy slips on the cliffs, falling to his death. And in Act 3, the boy's sweater has washed ashore, and Ellen recognizes the anchor that she embroidered on it. She wants to believe in Peter's innocence, but with this new evidence and having witnessed firsthand Peter's brutality and abuse towards the apprentice and herself, she can only believe the worst. She shows the sweater to Balstrode, Grimes' only other acquaintance in town, and we hear her contemplating Peter's guilt or innocence in the aria Embroidery and Childhood. That half step motif that we mentioned before turns into a musical debate over. Peter's truth or the lie. Her vocal lines vacillate on that half step, upwards and downwards, at first ending in that upward movement on the words embroidery and again on childhood, toward the truth, Peter could not have killed the boy. But then when she gets to the word idleness, she resolves it in that downward motion, that half step towards the lie. She believes that Peter's killed the child and that fluctuating half-step comes back to the downturn lie again and again. And as much as she doesn't want to believe that Peter is a murderer, it doesn't matter. Because finally, the Burroughs' hate has indeed poisoned her mind. Let's listen as Patricia Reset sings this moment with Alan Opie as Balstrode.
4: Is the boat in?
3: Yes for more than an hour. <laughs> Peter seems to have disappeared, not in his boat, not in his heart.
5: This I found down by the tide mark.
3: The boys.
4: my broided anchor on the chest.
5: Hey.
3: nothing to do but wait since the solution is beyond life beyond dissolution
2: such a profound and sad moment and at this point also peter has no one left while balstrode and ellen want to help peter the circumstantial evidence is just too much, especially as two young boys have now died under his supervision. The borough has turned into a unified force against Grimes, swept up in their unshakable belief that Grimes is killed again. And together, they search for Grimes with only one goal, to harrowing effect. And here we'll see a moment in the third act where we get that sense of how horrific the power of this crowd is as they are out to get this person who is unlike them, that per, that person who has been othered by them and they want out of their community. <laughs> Let's hey, go! Hey, hey. harrowing harrowing moment and that power of all of those voices coming together in unity and what's interesting is that throughout this work we'll hear moments where the chorus is singing with dissonances within the music that's written for them half-step whole-step dissonances they are not together harmonically but in this moment they're either singing in unison or in harmony collectively joined musically as a group, as well as with their combined mission against Grimes. Such an incredibly powerful moment. While Peter is lost in madness, incomprehensible in his delusion, as all of his dreams of acceptance and convincing the burrow of his truth, even marrying Ellen, they're all gone. Balstrode tells Peter to get in his boat, head out to sea, and sink the boat. And Peter does as he's told a few hours later the borough has gathered along the beach to greet the new day the anger of the mob mentality is gone someone notices a sinking boat but it's too far out for them to really do anything about it but their gossip has stopped their common enemy is gone for now and as we hear the truth and the lie themes coming together in that last musical moment sometimes fighting sometimes in harmony in the orchestra as the truth and the lie, all the lies ultimately, just wash out to sea. In this final scene of Peter Grimes, we'll hear Anthony and Michaels Moore as Captain Balstrode, Patricia Reset as Ellen Orford, Anthony Dean Griffey as Peter Grimes, and the Metropolitan Opera Chorus and Orchestra conducted by Sir Donald Ronicles.
3: Come on, I'll help you with the boat. No. Sail out. Till you lose sight of land. Then sink the boat. Do you hear? Sink her. Goodbye, Peter.
2: It's so tragic and so sad to hear those two little musical moments, the half-step upwards, the half-step downwards, finally coming together, having this conversation. We hear the lie, then we hear the truth, and then we hear the truth again. But ultimately, everyone just forgets. The truth is never really owned by the community, and Peter's name will never be restored. And it's just another day in the borough. Ultimately, Peter Grimes... He's not a criminal at odds with society, but a bruised and beaten down man who, while volatile, is burdened by what people think of him. He knows the truth, but the lie embraced by the community eventually drowns him at sea. I hope that this has given you a lot to think about and listen to and listen for as you see the opera this evening.
1: That was Guild lecturer Michael Bolton discussing Britain's powerful opera, Peter Grimes. Make sure to follow the Metropolitan Opera, Opera News, and the Metropolitan Opera Guild on all your favorite social media platforms to keep up to date on all things opera. I'm your host, Elspeth Davis, and thank you for listening.